Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 10, Episode 30, yes this one is 30, that will become very important, perhaps not this year, but certainly next year, see if you can work out why that might be. Where I am, it's just after 2 o'clock in the afternoon, where Tim Gray is, up in London still, but certainly over in London as well, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, I'm at Road America, then he said Mid-Ohio, because Tim and I were texting about this earlier on and he managed to get mid-Ohio into my head but it is Road America because we're here for IMSA this weekend, uh, IMSA Radio covering the next round of the Chiefs United Sports Car Championship and I will be at an Audi dealership uh, later on this afternoon so can't Ooh. do any overtime uh, today. No overtime, okay Okay, um, good evening oh, to not Tim. any overtime with you Well not with me, I'd have to leave, absolutely and then who would say the llama thing at the end so, no other time. A good evening, Tim, to you. Good evening, uh, John. I nearly called you Nick then. <laughs> no, no Nick here. No. Are, he's, are you going to uh, get Nick with you? He's going to be at his uh, usual toilet in uh, Silverstone. <laughs> Lavatory, yes. Um, and uh, I haven't got him at the moment, but I'm sure by the time the news starts, uh, we I, will. I, I like your boyish enthusiasm once again. Excellent. The reason we've both got Mid Ohio in the head, of course, was IndyCar at the weekend, which we were texting about, which you you missed completely. I didn't did because uh, uh, as we had a weekend with no live racing on uh, RadioLeMond.com, which is what something very rare in the middle of the summer, I went to watch very some live motor stuff. racing, oh, did you? Uh, and I went to Brands Hatch for British the GT. British GT Championship, uh, and then afterwards uh, went to a lovely pub I know. Uh, in the uh, country near Brands Hatch, only to find that uh, they were fully booked, so uh, couldn't uh, oh feed me. Uh, so we went to a slightly less nice pub across the road. And did they feed you? They did. And was it okay? It was very good. Uh, and I even had prefritter rolls uh, mm. for dessert. All very good. Um, that's as an aside now. Yeah, um, we'll be talking more about IndyCar, which I haven't seen, so you will talk about IndyCar with Marshall Pruitt later in the show. Uh, and I will uh, put my fingers in my ears and uh, hope that I can uh, find a catch-up version of it uh, uh, some it'll point. Be on. It'll be on some ungodly hour in the middle of the night for your DVR. I'm sure you can do that. Um, Right, let's do. Let's start off before we do anything else. I have some apologies for absence. Yes, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, what have you got there, Tim? Uh, Paul Market says arranged my lunch break today to be a little late, say 8 p.m. UK, right when a certain radio show happens. So presumably that means he is listening and uh, doesn't need to apologise for being absent. Uh, Chris Suku 
Uh, evening all, listening from northwestern Spain on Holes. Unfortunately, he tweeted that yesterday, uh, so hopefully he's back again tonight. Uh, Martin G. Webb, no apology for absence, but an apology for harassing you over on Twitter today. Uh, Zach Jansen, or Jansen possibly, apologies for absence. Designing fire trucks in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, and dreaming about Road America. Okay. Uh, Alan Prosser uh, says, I'm approximately 10 years behind uh, Colin McRae, so I'm in the pub. Uh, just watch out for those helicopters. Uh, Dave Stillwell says, apologies for absence. I've been staying up too late trying to find out where to get coverage of the KL City GP. Uh, Lounsey's Car says, apologies for absence. Uh... I'm in Perth for the next V8 supercar round, and I thought the time difference was bad on the East Coast. Uh, and finally, Andrew Dolan says, uh, please accept my apologies for absence. I'm creating a fake Twitter account for my dad tonight. Oh, that's very good. I like that one. That last one was very good. Very good indeed. The uh, We haven't had a tweet of the week for, for a while, actually, so we'll have to keep an eye on that as we go through. Uh, it is midweek motorsport. Uh, about time that we stopped all this nonsense and started some different nonsense. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. And we're going to start with some Formula One nonsense, and I'm... Pleased to say I'm joined by our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray! Oh, hello first. Was it hooray? Which one is it? Where you're, where you can do both. Me? Hooray, hello. Hello, hooray. And I must say, Nick, that's a rather interesting hairstyle you've chosen. Pardon? Uh, our top story is all about hairstyles. Ah, okay. Again, don't know. Uh, uh, you're supposed to be the Formula One correspondent. Lewis Hamilton has a new hairstyle. Well, since when does being the Formula One correspondent needs I need to know the exact comings and goings of the barbershop abilities of, of uh, various racing drivers? Uh, but uh, whether he keeps or not for the Belgian Grand Prix uh, is the subject of some uh, bookmakers' uh, interest. Sorry, they're, they're betting on his haircut. Yes. So I, I this is um, impressive. So, 5-1 to one, that he keeps his braids until the Belgian Grand Prix. Oh, uh, right. I'm now, I am now mail online. This is a story from, isn't it? Uh, this was a press release from uh, Bookmaker. 6-4 uh, for Hamilton to shave it off. Yes. Um, unwound, those sort of things. 16-1 uh, for Mohawk. 40-1... to one. <laughs> To get it bleached. Are they just going through what David Beckham had during his career? Possibly. Uh, 250 to 1 for a top knot. I think in time for Belgium, that's going to be difficult without a wig. And you, I don't think you get a top knot under, underneath the helmet either, can you really? Could you get a mullet under the ha- helmet? Not in time. 1,000 to 1 for that. Yeah. Be, 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 be. yeah. Um, so if I was Lewis Hamilton, you... I'd be putting a bet on. Yeah, but what, I don't think he needs the money, really. No, but it's always uh, handy to have some more. That's true. So what you're saying is the Formula One um, summer break has got so boring that the best they can do is a is a hairstyle guessage. Yes, pretty much. Um, there's also uh, some shots of him uh, surfing with his dog. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm turning to John here. I'm losing the mood to talk about this. Much as like, much like I think he's, he's absolutely fine. He wants to go and have a good time. That's marvellous. I'm sure Nico Rosberg is at home rubbing in the bio oil into his wife, isn't he? Because she's about to give birth. And Sebastian Vettel's at home being boring, because apparently that's what he is, according to Bernie. Um, you hmm. mentioned Bernie. Should we talk some more about Bernie? Yes, I, I feel a bit on more solid ground there because I guess he's going to be wearing the same sort of grey wig he has. Oh, sorry, um, grey haircut he has done for the last thirty years. Okay, uh, he's also uh, looking forward to welcoming the uh, Italian Grand Prix at Monza onto the uh, twenty seventeen calendar. Yes, he's managed to have their arms so far up their back they've got the tax. Um, uh, relief they required, so they can afford to carry on paying the uh, the exorbitant amount of money he's asking for it. Uh, they've uh, passed a new bill, uh, the uh, Senate Budget Committee, which will allow regional governments uh, to invest in motorsport. Oh, well, that's very, very good. It's good. To... Well, yeah, once again, Bernie wins. Uh, Bernie says, we're happy and we want to continue at Monza, that's for sure, but we want to do so on the same sort of terms other people pay in Europe, because there are no concessions. Yes, I think that's still, that doesn't make any sense. Let's be honest, people don't want... It's fine, if Azerbaijan desperately wants a Grand Prix, then they have to pay top dollar for it. But we actually, as motorsport fans, who should count for something, actually want to race at Monza. Uh, Formula One's like women's football. Um, what? Wildly overpromoted by the BBC beyond its actual ability and entertainment value? Uh, who do you think says Formula One's like women's football? Oh... <sighs> Is it Sebastian Coe? He's had a lot to say today. No. Uh, okay. Is it um, Max Mosley? No. Seth Blatter? No. I've run out of people who are, who are a bit weird. Gene Haas. Right. Okay. Is he saying it's a bit like, Amer- like in America? Yes. Right. Okay. In that to make it uh, interesting on a professional level, they had to really big up the uh, uh, competitive element against the Italians and Germans. I just thought they had to wear tighter shorts. Uh, no, that was uh, Sepp Blatter. That was Sepp Blatter, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, they are world champions, and I, I can't see the Haas team being world champions for a few years, but they are champions of, of women's football. I think the bigger influence we've had on this is national rivalry. Basically, an American team is now going to compete with the Germans and the Italians. It's not really competing with the Italians, is it? It's no. sort of leeching all their knowledge and piggybacking off the Italians. It's a bit like going down to the, to, the, to Little Italy and having a big piggyback on on Don on Don Ferrari as he continues extorting all your money and you just have one of his hangers on. It's like the Sopranos with cars. Uh, I'm hoping we can have the same effect in the US for Formula One because all of a sudden there's an American Formula One team and it'll be the home team and people are going to cheer for us. What do Americans like most? Uh, unhealthy food, baseball. No. Sports-wise, they like winners, don't they? Yes. Americans, Americans don't have the British obsession with the underdog. Americans like winners. Are Haas going to be winners? How would you define winning? Well, it's when you come first in a race. No. No. Have, are they going to be... Well, hang on, how do you define winning then? Well, different people define things in different ways, don't they? For example, they could say that... Uh, uh, just getting to the grid is uh, uh, a measure of success for them. Well, it's significantly more successful than USF1 were, but, you know, less successful than um, Dan Gurney's Eagle team were. Yes. Uh, they've also narrowed down their shortlist uh, of uh, potential drivers. So there's now well, only 10 of them. 
Oh, right, because I only heard three. That must be the, the ones who know, the, the three who know what they're doing, see, followed by the one American. Well, there's the uh, Jean-Éric Verne, mm-hmm. uh, who seems to be uh, uh, a very popular option. Uh, yes. How likely do we think he is to be doing this? Don't know, but, well, there's him, Esteban Gutierrez, yeah. and what have they got in common, Tim? Uh, well, Esteban Gutierrez, uh, not only is he from North America, but uh, mm. uh, he's also a Ferrari test driver. And what's Jean-Éric Verne? Uh, he's French. No, he's the Ferrari simulator driver. He's a simulator driver, is he? Ah. For Ferrari. For Ferrari. And who's Nico? And Nico Hulkenberg? Uh, he's at uh, Force India at the moment. He's the one that Ferrari keep passing over because they can't make up their mind whether it'd be better to have him than, than Kimi Räikkönen, even though everybody in the world can see it'd be better to have Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, yeah, we'll Kimi Räikkönen is in very a minute. <laughs> yes. So they're going to choose one of those drivers, and my guess is it'll probably be. Um, uh, Gutierrez, because he's Mexican, got cash and a Ferrari link. Um, and then they'll probably have, you know, I mean, Alexander Rossi's still making big noise, but someone who's got some form of North American link. Yes. Uh, what you mentioned, Raikkonen, he's uh, going to be back at Ferrari next season. What, for a visit? No, as a race driver. Who says that? Ferrari did, they confirmed that today. Did they? Yes. Are you sure? I'm reading it here. Uh, what right. do you? Uh, where, where, where are you reading it? What? Let's move on. Uh, what you are your views on um, on Lotus Formula One development driver Carmen Horda? Uh, significantly more positive than the nose of Michel Mouton. That's for sure. Yes. Uh, what did Michel Mouton say? Um. To be honest, I didn't actually read. Or what the, didn't she say? That she was any good. Yes. Yes, because she isn't any good. But she does look very good in the cutaways. Yes. Uh, Mouton's backtracked slightly. Really? Given that Michel Mouton is probably one of two or three female drivers who've absolutely been on a on a par with all their male colleagues, I don't think she needs to. Uh, she said, uh, for me, there's no controversy here. I was speaking only about women drivers who reach Formula One should do so because of their results. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I mentioned a few names. Uh, uh, there are several examples like Susie Wolf, Claire Williams and Jutta Kleinschmidt. And Maria Devalot, Jutta Kleinschmidt? You must you have see. heard of Jutta Kleinschmidt. Uh, you don't follow Rani, do you? Uh, mm-hmm. Another point of... Uh, uh, disagreement between uh, Mouton and uh, Horder is what? No, no, you're gonna have. I'm enjoying this uh, this uh, argument between the ladies. You, you tell me more. Uh, all female Formula One. Well, that's not going to happen, is it? Well, Bernie wants it to happen, and Carmen Horder, as you not... reported uh, three months ago, said she thought it was a good idea. Michelle yeah, Mouton I... thinks it's a silly idea because Bernie was just saying it, saying it to, be, to to get some column inches. Yes. Uh, Michelle Mouton said, no, we couldn't fill a grid of women competing with Formula One cars. Maybe someday, not now. God, do you know what? I like Michelle more every day. She's a lovely lady. I liked her most. When, uh, the funniest thing, was she, 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 I remember she rolled the uh, very expensive uh, Audi S1 at the race champions, didn't she? Yes. Uh, finally, uh, in terms of Formula One... Uh, mm-hmm in the middle of summer break at the moment, but uh, what have Honda promised after the break? 
they promised that they're going to actually produce the engine. The first half it was just a joke. They're really sorry about it, but they were having a bit of a laugh with the uh, the boys in Japan, and they're going to produce an engine that works and doesn't blow up, um, or 45 horsepower it's of the hundred of the 120 they're behind. I was going to say, is 45 horsepower enough? I think it's better than nothing, but still not enough. Uh, still you, did... I, I know you've, you, you've veered off the thing. Where did you see this Raikkonen story? I can't remember. It was on a press release. Yeah, it's absolutely not. He's not being retained. If you say so. There was an argument about Bottas being destabilised. Uh, Pat Simmons came out and went fighting. People are destabilising Bottas by linking him with Ferrari. But uh, Raikkonen, yeah. it makes no sense. They haven't got, they've got no contractual obligation to Raikkonen. He's not producing anything um, to justify his paycheck. So why not get somebody who's as good? I mean, yes, he wins the popularity award because he's stroppy, which is a really interesting um, uh, look at the, the way uh, you can become popular on social media. But he's not exactly doing anything to justify his drive, is he, really? I've got to uh, find out where this was now. Um it's being reported by Fox Sports as well. Not that they were particularly... Uh... Fox Sports also reported, just to, to give you a little bit of a, a background, that about a week ago they reported that for definite but Bottas had signed for Ferrari. Excellent. I think Fox Sports might be the motorsport.com of America. The, ki- the giveaway is Fox. Not really top news-based organisation, are they? So, moving on, uh, we have a change of layout for the Singapore Grand Prix. Very, very subtly different. In that it is, um, that basically, I quite like that. Then they go over the bridge. They're using yeah. the other lane. Now, I'm not sure whether it's got a different toll mechanism or, or whatever it is, but they're now, they're now sort of turning left. They, they, I think they're saving like a, a couple of Singaporean pounds every time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they're going to, apparently it's going to leave more overtaking opportunities. I think that's just um, an excuse for the fact we had to change the track because of slight problems, and therefore we're going to pretend it. Because to me, it looks the same as before. Still quite tricky, but you you get to see the other side of the harbour as you drive across it. Are you going to see uh, much difference at all to lap times? Um, I think it'll be marginally slower because it's got a sharper entry, which is why I think it's going to be um, better for uh, overtaking because they're the cars into into a braking point first. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what the layout is. It, it, we're still not going to get an invitation to it. Speak for yourself. Well, I was. <laughs> You're back then, John. I haven't been anywhere. I was still, I was still listening. Uh-huh. Uh, more from Nick Damon in a wee while. Thank you, Nick. Um, and you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, Series 10, Episode 30. Uh, it's John Hindorf in Wisconsin at Road America. It's a state and I haven't been to. Really? Mm. I once drove from mid-Ohio to here, and it was a lovely... First of all, it was a lovely drive, and secondly, it had the most bizarre thing of driving across a time zone line. So you and there was a sign at the road saying, you know, put your watch forward or back or whichever way you were going, which was quite same cool. thing happened when we went from Atlanta to Birmingham. Mm, yes, would do. Yeah, very good. Um, the reason I'm here of course is that IMSA have the Chid United Sports Car Championship and Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge this weekend. Our usual coverage and of all uh, and Porsches, yes, and Cooper Tires prototype lights yes. as well. All covered, uh, all the races covered in full on IMSA radio uh, via RadioLeMond.com on the player. Uh, and we'll have all of the practice sessions and qualifying for Tudor and a bit of 
Conti Quali as well. Uh, later on this afternoon, stroke evening where I am, because I'm behind you in time, uh, I'll be at Audi's North Shore dealership, which is in Brown Beer, Wisconsin, with uh, representatives from Audi Customer Racing, including Paul Miller Racing. So looking Ooh. forward to that. So I'm going to have that's one of the reasons I've got a whiz off, uh, and there'll be no overtime with me tonight. And you um, mentioned uh, Mid Ohio uh, there. It's the start <laughs> of your road trip, uh, yes. and we'll be talking about that with Marshall Pruitt uh, in the second hour of tonight's show. Fingers uh, but crossed. First, mm-hmm. uh, we can do some sports car news and say good evening Graham Goodwin good evening everybody you weren't with us last week we told everybody that you were out on a secret mission and then told everybody what it was which was (laughs) uh, you were at what ended up being a WEC test it was of course originally booked by Toyota but they opened it up to everybody presumably for a financial contribution and the WEC I think rather sensibly uh, jumped on it and and made it an event they did jump they did and it was a bit of an odd one because uh, Whilst we were there for two days, uh, we were only really allowed into the track on the second day. That didn't, that didn't stop you covering it, though, and we had a bit of a laugh about this last <laughs> week because you covered it from your hotel balcony with we a did. fully stocked minibar, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, well, I don't think it's a fully stocked minibar by the time we're finished with it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, we, we did indeed. Uh, luckily enough, I got a decent deal on the Dorrant. Anybody that knows the Dorrant Hotel at uh, the Nürburgring, uh, we'll know that the um, the uh, circuit side rooms overlook the final turn on the Grand Prix striker. And uh, indeed, we had a fantastic view in some very challenging conditions of, uh, well, a fair amount of the circuit. And a reasonably good view at one point as well, by the way, of you know uh, one of the very few crowds. Here's the irony at the Nürburgring, a crowd number that I believe um, around 3,000 people turning mm. up in the pouring rain to watch those cars pound around from from uh, the middle of the, well, early to middle morning we were there middle middle of the morning towards lunchtime until about 5 40 in the afternoon and uh, uh yet we did have some streaming rain at various points and uh, despite that a number of the teams taking the opportunity to get out there there was uh, a car there that i think was a a wee bit of a surprise and let's start with that first because bob bell was there it was a michelotto fielded oh okay uh, now, the Michelotto fielded Ferrari with their two regular um, tyre testers, Daniel Serra, who's been doing most of the tyre testing, and uh, Alessandro Pereguidi. But uh, we spotted through the window of the car as it came right. past us um, a very familiar yellow helmet, which I can tell you most certainly definitely didn't see Bob uh, Rappel, but, uh, but no, I certainly know he was there and part of that. This is to do with them taking forward their offering. They've got the spec tyre in the LMS, of course, and the GT cars. Ah, good point. So, some degree of, of criticism of those tyres at the beginning of the year, but they've been working really hard through the season. And whilst we didn't do any formal timing, uh, certainly we believe they've made a mighty leap. And there'll be more to say about that, I think, as we get towards the last two rounds of the ELMS next month. So, uh, you know, yes, uh, Dunlop taking the opportunity they asked for and were granted not having those times shown on the timing screens uh, ah. it was a um all carbon, <laughs> all carbon beautiful um ferrari uh, with some very visible testing gear on it and a very large dock of tires available for the drivers to uh, get around the circuit with so it's great to see that they were there and uh, i'm putting some effort into you know uh one part of the kind of the 
the jigsaw for GT yes. and sports car racing that gets some criticism, John, and that's a spectacular. Who else was there? Then obviously Toyota, as we said, it was it was their test. First time we'd seen the Stracker out on a public test with their new chassis, of course. Yep, well, we had uh, no, all told 20 cars uh, there, one each of the uh, the existing, the current full factory teams in LMP1. CLM was there and actually putting in some reasonably good lap times. Toyota who hosted the test, uh, Ant Davidson uh, and uh, Alex Wurtz there for the time that I was there. Alex Wurtz, by the way, very keen to make it clear that uh, the story that was doing the rounds uh, around Le Mans time was a complete mistake on the part of, I think he misunderstood the question and the journalist misunderstood the uh, the answer that he is not in any way questioning his future with Toyota. Perfectly regular uh, contract discussions due to okay. take place in September. They were third quickest. Uh, we had the test car Porsche, another all-black car, numbered 919 this time, and the number 9 Audi, uh, the, the chassis clearly with least miles on it at the moment. Further confirmation that I think as you've offered previously, John, that we will see the Le Mans spec car for the remainder of the season, uh, that uh, in effect, that car, the extraordinary car we saw at Silverstone, uh, that was its one and only race as the at the point of the blade, if you like. But yes, we saw one car in that spec at Spa, but we will not see car in Silverstone spec again for the remainder of this season. I, I, and I, I'm not surprised at that at all. We talked about this, didn't we, at at Spa, and said as soon as we saw the middle lap time, the middle part of the lap time, which is the twisty bit, and the Le Mans spec car was the quickest and I said no downside no downside no downside so you've got the speed you've got no downside one thing we did actually get which is you know difficult to do during a race weekend and I have to say that uh, in the years that I've been doing this I've not done before is we were granted and thank you very much to Eve Maria and to Martin Pass uh, and for that matter to our guide Andre Lottero a group of us were given a guided tour of the Audi garage and technical areas mm-hmm. and that was a bit of an eye opener one car only of course uh, the team, though, taking up two garages and the garage to the left, uh, full, and I mean full, of technicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interesting there, John, we had to explain what some of the jobs were that these guys were doing. One technician each for various parameters of the car, monitoring uh, the performance of, for instance, suspension, braking, hybrid system engine, etc., etc., feeding that into the race engineer who was the person talking to the driver and uh, you know I'm sure elsewhere in the program you'll be discussing about uh, Audi radio protocol it was mm. working pretty well that weekend um, the the other kind of side of the garage though I think equally interesting they were the guys gathering the sim data and uh, almost as many technicians there to actually gather and collate sim data from this car as there were to monitor and uh, develop the actual car running in real time uh, interesting uh, comments from a number of guys about how well they think this might race when the when the show comes back. Which version of the Grand Prix circuit did they use, by the way? That was something I meant to ask. Did they use the full version with the Mercedes looping, or did they use the shortcut as they're using the 24 hours? Pretty certain we were talking about the full... Uh, uh, full... What a shame. Yes, indeed. But uh, beyond that, John, I mean, what we also had, and, uh, and also cued us again to the uh, the... WEC guys for making this happen was there was in effect a launch for the event and uh, very well attended it was too uh, and amongst the people that we actually had there were the, the Grand Marshal for the event 
Hans Stuck, no less, of course, of course. the current president of the DMSB, the sporting body uh, for Germany, and a gentleman I'd never met before by the name of Carsten Schumacher. No relation, uh, but uh, Schumacher is the, the man placed by Capricorn, now in charge of the Nürburgring. Ah. And quite interesting stuff there in terms of it's a one-year deal for the Nürburgring. They are, though, very keen indeed to negotiate themselves to a three-year deal akin to that which is we're more used to for the regular WEC circuits. It's going to be interesting to see which way that goes. Clearly, the German factory teams, and for that matter, Toyota, based just at the road in Cologne, very keen on the Nürburgring race. But it does beg a question, doesn't it, if they are successful and we do get a race at the Nürburgring, what gives? Where else won't we be going? Because we know, and I know that uh, Marshall has been talking on the show before about conversations to do with Mexico and and, uh, and Canada. Um, there is pressure for a second North American race, but what would give in those circumstances? Because it has to be said, uh, you would do well to find somewhere on that calendar that doesn't tick at least one of the boxes that are held dear to the WEC. With Cota, yes, okay, they've got to improve the, the show, but there seems to be confidence that that's coming. Fuji, why would you mess with that? Uh, Shanghai, vitally important to the OEMs involved. And Bahrain, of course, making a contribution towards the uh, the coffers of the WEC and looking to build something there uh, in the Gulf. So it would be an interesting one. Certainly, there doesn't appear to be a lot of love in the room for the prospect of increasing the number of WEC races. Okay. The factories appear to be quite happy. But that's going to be quite interesting. But uh, some very open views from Carsten Schumacher. Uh, they clearly believe they've got a shot of actually expanding their their life with the WEC beyond just the one race. And, of course, doubly important for the Nürburgring because, of course, this year they don't have a Grand Prix. Graham Goodwin with us here on Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 30. Uh, whilst we're talking about meeting up with people, Graham, you had the opportunity to speak to the man at the top of BMW's motorsport division, Jens Markart, smashing chap. You and a small group of journalists, including uh, Gary Watkins and, and one or two others? Uh, yeah, we had Marcel Tenkat was there, René de Burr, I mean, the, the usual, almost all the usual suspects, but uh, interesting group and some interesting questions. And uh has to be said, I think Mr Watkins and myself were very much to the, to the van of things in terms of getting stuck in. And I don't think there's ever reasonable aspects of cir- circuit racing we didn't cover. He did count out in the short term the BMW factory going to LMP1. And principally, John, that's because uh, they would like to go the EV routes, the electrical vehicle routes, rather than hybrid. Hybrid is not something that at the moment is in the sites of um, BMW as part of a product. When when he Uh, says EV, though, what does he mean? Because they have EV cars with the i3, but their halo product is the... Um, the sports car, the i8, i8, uh, and that does have a petrol engine in it. It's got a, a small, I think, three-cylinder or two-cylinder uh, engine in it. So, is he talking about something like the Nissan Leaf or the Leaf RC? Well, I think the the, the open question is whether or not they're talking fuel cell, and there's certainly mm. the words fuel and cell did not leave Jens Market's, uh, you know, uh, mouth during a quite an extended conversation with with the media certainly he's looking at not what they've got now and that's a perfectly valid question john but where they're going to and ev came up over and over again and indeed so did formula e 
and the direction he felt that they should be taking there. And perhaps in terms of explaining where he's going to, what he, he had a lot of very good things to say about Formula E. Mm-hmm. The area, though, he's most concerned about is is this business of range. Um, it's reach of the cars. And he, like very many others, believes that it's a you know, shot in the foot. Um, to have to change to, the cars. To have to change the cars. Yes. And that, that undermines uh, people's confidence in the technology while well, you've got an ideal opportunity to be talking to this very new audience. But uh, oddly enough, the kind of conversation that I know we had fairly recently around Formula Re about the city centre races, the new audience, not necessarily the petrol heads, all of that absolutely repeated back to us by Jens Market. Beyond that, though, John, um, uh, what he d- certainly did respond positively to was the prospect of a Garage 56 entry. The interesting thing about that is we've heard from other manufacturers, have we not, and indeed other people who are interested in uh, providing a solution to Garage 56, that the ACO have sort of said, well, ca- yes, we'd like you to come, but can you commit to a programme later on down the line and of course a lot of these small companies who are doing it as just a technology uh, window a technology showcase that was the word I was looking for they can't they can't do it now BMW could so maybe the other side of that is BMW saying we can commit to LMP1 if we can influence the regulations of LMP that will make our cars look more like road cars and will allow us to use the technology that we find most relevant in our road car range i don't think that's a bad thing there's two games at play uh, and the only other company that's done something similar here is nissan and it was a matter of just turning heads at the aco to doing something a little bit different um, and then using that as an opportunity to just add a little bit of flavor to the regulations we're talking here turn of the next decade realistically before this becomes a reality let's not get excited about 16 and 17 the current regulations are under discussion at the moment will be 17 18 19 we believe i think we're talking here bmw being interested in getting an lmp1 program together for the turn of the decade or beyond but they are very interested let's talk gt no doubt in my mind whatsoever that their new GT3 car will become a GTLM car in the US only. It won't get homologation for Europe because I think that's a step too far, much as they said for a GTE car would have been. What did he say about GT? Uh, and he was a big fan of Convergence, wasn't he? GT Convergence. Massive what? fan of Convergence yeah. and feels it was a massive wrong turn not to go down that way. He made a, gave a slightly kind of snippy response to the suggestion that the GT. Uh, the GTE version of the Z4 was, you know, uh, an evolution of the GT3. No, he said it's an entirely different car, and that's part of the problem. That uh, conversions would have solved all that. It's given them a big problem here. They will only do this. Well, it was an entirely know, different the, car than what everyone else had been led to believe uh, that they were there going you to go. put in. So I, I can't but, go but, along with them on that. But, but before I move on to talk about the GT3 GT. E car, GTLM car, rather, John. One thing he did say, which I've never heard said before, uh, we've heard it implied before, is that on the Garage 56 stuff, he believes he's had discussions. He thinks IMSA are going to do something similar. Now, mm. we've seen that story from Marshall about the all electric uh, Delta Wing mm-hmm. uh, GT, uh, that it would appear to be the case in the background somewhere, whether or not as an opportunity for IMSA to start to move towards a future improvement in their number of prototypes or whatever, that IMSA too are interested in following the Garage 56 model as a technology display bit. That aside, uh, that what he did say is that the GTLM car 
you know, it's very tough in terms of the timing. Clearly, the deal has not yet been done with uh, the the governing bodies and with the other teams as to how that's going to be achieved. Uh, we we know that the car must be in build at the moment because it has to be uh, balanced performance tested by September from memory if that's going to be acceptable to the other factories. Uh, so therefore, they're going to have to put, if you like, a thumb in the wind uh, to, to see whether or not they can bring something there that gets uh, gets variously close. But they certainly are going forward with their GTLM plans in a way which, in a similar session uh, earlier in the, uh, the, the same day, John, Bentley confirmed that they will not be. Oh, well, I'll come to Bentley in, in just a moment. But staying with the M6 homologation, it doesn't have to be at the balance of performance test, of course, in September, because that's only for... ACO and FIA cars, not necessarily for IMSA cars, and it will only be an IMSA homologation. It's waivers it's going to get, and it will be down to negotiation, I think, with the other teams more than anything else. So BMW have got a little bit more time before the roar. In terms of American matters, though, with Jens Markart, who you were talking to, the head of BMW Motorsport, DTM America, whatever it would be called, still very much on the agenda, although a realisation that it, it can't be run the same way as DTM in Germany with the manufacturers funding all of the entries and that at least initially there needs to be a US manufacturer involved. Yes, absolutely right. I mean, I think where people miss this, we all talk, don't we, about there being this gaping hole. It was a question was asked, gaping hole with an awful lot of customer activity and not a great deal in terms of global activity. I've got no doubt whatsoever that looking back at notes and listening back to the tape that uh, BMW are placing a great deal of hope in Class 1 uh, the you know the globalized DTM uh, mm. Super GT regulations to provide them with exactly that. Uh, yeah, I think you're aware, John, as, as I was, that there was potential for there to be a BMW DTM car potentially racing this year yeah. in Super GT at one point. That didn't happen, um, but uh, they're getting very close now to these globalized regulations. He was very keen to make sure that we left that room with the uh, complete understanding that, uh, that discussions continue to try to get DTM USA underway. If that happens, and we do get this globalised system of regulations with perhaps some of the Japanese manufacturers coming to DTM and vice versa with the German manufacturers in Asia, um, then they immediately get something with very limited, uh, you know, in global terms, very limited investments that gives them global reach. And that's a pretty clever thing. The other thing that was was dropped in, actually, I think we're also going to see another BMW Motorsport product pretty soon. Mm. Uh, because whilst we've got the, we talked about uh, the GT3 car and the subsequent GTLM, he mentioned a couple of times the M235 car that we've seen in one make uh, class racing, both in 24 hours series and also in the VLM. Uh, he did leave a gap for something in the middle. That might be quite interesting uh, to have a look at what the product range for BMW in the next couple of years is coming through. I think we're going to see another BMW Motorsport mm. GT car of some description that fills that gap. I'd be surprised if it wasn't something i8 pro car, maybe, type of thing. But anyway, that's uh, sort of the day. Let's stop, Bentley. You mentioned it. Uh, yeah. Brian Gush uh, being quite clear about the fact that there wouldn't be following the BMW line and trying to get a GT3 car into GTLM in uh, in the IMSA competition. Not surprised at that because yep. he was quite emphatic, what, a year or so ago when we had him here on this show saying that they were really only interested in races that could win outright, which is followed up by the fact that he was quite strong on the idea of having Bentley bodywork and possibly... A Bentley engine 
behind in you for 2017 IMSA prototype car? Well, th- certainly they uh, are very happy indeed with their GT3 program. Why wouldn't uh, they be? They me, absolutely. I think I'm right in saying that he told me that chassis number 18 was the one on display on the roof of the pit building. Wow. Uh, they've got uh, existing, they're particularly happy with their new customers for this year, Absolute Racing in Asia, HTP Motorsports uh, coming across to Bentley from Mercedes-Benz in Europe and very happy indeed about that, but did say that uh, the the GTLM project, the, if you like, a parallel project to that which you've just been talking about, about BMW, is not going to progress. They are, though, keeping a very close watch, as you say, John, on the potential for a 2017 P2 programme with engine and bodywork, focused, of course, completely on North America, because that mm. gives them something they are most keen on doing, which is competing for overall wins. It, it, I think it just further underlines, does it not, that big manufacturers are out there wanting to do these kind of things? Or do you think that is specific to the fact that those type of cars can win outright in IMSA? I'm not hearing a lot of love in the room uh, for seeing cars with their engines and spec bodywork racing at Le Mans. I think we're talking here about uh, an IMSA-only programme. And look look at the way in which Bentley have gone racing. They're they're, they're not, um, you know, churning out continental gt3s in very large numbers it's not a numbers game for them it's a game where they're trying to select um the customer teams that they believe can go out and show their brand off very well indeed uh, well they've already got the perfect partners in the states with dyson haven't they dyson but uh but uh, believe they may have another customer uh for gt3 next year in addition to dyson we'll wait and see who that emerges as being but i think the key thing from bentley's point of view is they're unlikely, therefore, to do anything different than that yeah. in terms of overall wins. They, they will here's not a question. be six or seven customer cars. So here's a question then. Do you think we'll see from that, what do you get from Brian, is presumably that as a, as a factory, they won't be entering any GT3 cars in IMSA because not only can they not win outright, but it's not even a GT win. In fact, it's a secondary category and a secondary category obviously they can't stop anybody buying a car and going and entering it but it won't be a won't be a factory supported effort uh i think what you'll get is you'll get a high profile customer in gt3 but you're absolutely right john it will not be a factory or factory blessed effort mm. uh, that said if you look at some of the kind of customer efforts around the world they've got a very bentley look around them they mm. tend to feature a kind of um you know Generic sounds quite derogatory. I don't mean it that way. Generic type uh, livery to the car. Well, it's, it's very. It's the Aston Martin theme, though, isn't it? Absolutely. It's Aston Martin yeah. racing theme. Yeah. So, so I think the the reality here is that I think if they were looking at anything United States, uh, aside from what I think will continue in the Pirelli World Challenge with Dyson Racing, yep. is uh, I think they're certainly taking a very good, long, hard look at what the potential might be for something that looks a little bit like a Bentley, uh, but is racing for the overall win in IMSA in the future Uh, as well as by the way potentially in the background because there's a cheeky little question and a cheeky little answer from them I've got a funny feeling you're going to see with the Dakar rally as well yes of course with the Bentega it's Midweek Motorsport Series 10 episode 30 that'll become important particularly next year as Tim keeps telling us, Graham Goodwin, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, is giving us a bit of a catch-up on what's been going on. Final bit of catch-up comes from the Spa 24 a couple of weeks ago. Thank you for your and Paul Truswell's sterling efforts on site for RadioLamont.com. Graham, 
a difficult event this was last year. So now that the dust settled and you look back on this year's, have things improved? Were bullets dodged? Have lessons been learned? To answer the first question first, yes and no. The answer was that they made some very sensible moves in terms of the safety of that event. Uh, the, the issues, I think, are well known. Um, but uh, the weather didn't help this year. We had wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, and at times to extreme. And um, they had some serious problems in the first few hours of that race, uh, including... Uh, at various times, full course yellows and safety cars, safety cars that they couldn't communicate with, safety cars going much quicker than their peers. There were two safety cars out on circuit for most of the um, the caution periods and uh, on one occasion just one because the radio had failed. Um, it is fair to say that it got very messy very, very quickly uh, with cars going laps down that, frankly, if they'd made a, an error, it was a minor error. Uh, and I think, again, they'll be taking a look at what happened there uh, to see whether or not things can be improved. I have spoken to a number of the key players uh, post um, the Spa 24 Hours and some pretty strident things were being said about the level of control that was being exercised. Uh, The phrase lost control of the race was used more than once uh, coming from some serious players with some serious factory efforts. It happens, It It happens. It's, It's not easy. Some serious incidents again, um, you know, resulting in full course yellows and at times with safety cars. There were safety cars quite correctly scrambled for uh, weather, um, but with communication difficulties, there were at least once, and I believe possibly twice, safety car was scrambled with no radio message heard by any of the teams. Um, and, you know, in, in one particular instance, was told by one chief engineer of a factory, um, GT team that uh, yeah, first we knew the safety car was out was that uh, our driver on the Kemmel Straits at VMAX as best he could in the conditions came across through the Merck um, a, you know, a safety car halfway down there and had to get off the power on the brakes uh, very quickly indeed. So I think there's again questions to be asked. The first half of it, I'll be blunt, was a bit of a mess. Uh, you couldn't read it. I'll give you, a, a, for instance, one of the cars that I was tracking uh, the uh, the MRS Nissan uh, had a poor qualifying, started 34th. Uh, Craig Dolby moved it up to 23rd. Um, they guessed right and uh, pulled a great kind of strategy piece out of the, the ether on the second full course yellow. Uh, pitted the car, managed to make the way up to fifth place on strategy uh, and then made a wrong uh, call on tyres when the weather changed and then changed again and went from fifth to 37th position. Um, before the car had an incident and was eliminated in the in the early part of the race. That's how topsy-turvy it is. Another example of it, John, is I'm pretty certain I'm right that by the end of the race, all of the top six cars in the overall order at some point were two laps down. Mm. Uh, all six. And that goes to show two things. One, it was very messy. Um, certainly, talking to Paul, and let's face it, if Paul Trustwell can't read a race particularly easily, you know you're in trouble. Um, that we were struggling uh, when we were getting towards darkness to actually make uh, make any kind of uh, impact on understanding the, the rhythm of things. But uh, but beyond that, what we saw was some extraordinary drives through the field by the Mark VDS BMWs and indeed by all of the new Audis, all of which hit trouble in the first uh, knockings of the race. Ultimately, the right cars were involved, or most of the right cars were involved, at the end, but it was a race of attrition. 
was a bit messy. Not my favourite Spa 24 Hours. I have to say, I do love the Spa 24 Hours. Um, it's it's often dealt out some of the best racing we see every year. Um, I wouldn't have said this was a classic. Which in itself, Graham, is actually quite quite sad, isn't it? Controversial point, but one that other people made last year and are making again this year. GT3 machines are now very, very rapid, even in the hands of relatively inexperienced drivers. Conditions at Spa can be bad. There's the added pressure of a 24-hour race. There's an added pressure of it being part of a really major championship in the way that things like the Dubai 24 hours aren't. There's an event with GT3 and other machinery, in fact, in there. But that's an event that's designed to have a bit of fun at and the pro teams come there knowing that yes there's a a race to be run but it's a different thought process Matt Griffin won the Prime Championship at the weekend with the with the points that he got at 6, 12, 18 and and 24 hours so the point that's been made is GT3 machinery in the Ardennes at Spa at that time of the year in a 24 hour race is it appropriate are we just asking for trouble it's a toughie isn't it well, let's put it this way. I'm very glad indeed, John, that the initial 66 cars we had on the entry list came down to 57 before the, the race started. 66, I've, I've said this more than once this year, too many cars. That sounds ridiculous, but it's too much. Uh, on the kind of size of the circuits we've been dealing with, it's too much. And uh, 57 was certainly far more manageable. Um, it's a difficult one. I think at times, you know, we have got things like the bronze test in place now. There's the Sean Edwards Foundation test has been put in place to try to, um, you know, uh, inflict a bit of a quality check on who's actually taking part. How does part. that work? It's a, uh, it's a process in parallel with the probably rather better known to uh, your regular Mon listeners test that any rookie at Le Mans has to mm. now sit with a simulator day that I know there was a fair degree of cynicism about but I think I'm right in saying certainly uh, I interviewed Alex Capardia about it two years mm. ago when he did it I think you've had him on the show to talk about it and you know that's had pretty unremitting praise from both the amateur drivers and from professional drivers of being actually completely relevant, a bit expensive but quite relevant. I've no problem with the uh, with the powers that be looking at safety i'd like to hope because i've got a lot of respect for the people that run these races this is not an easy job mm. and certainly not when it when a race is throwing things at you with the kind of speed that's any 24-hour race on a circuit light spa with rapidly changing weather conditions and i mean rapidly uh but when it's throwing stuff at you like that i think the the uh, the answer is it's dead easy to actually be an armchair critic but i'd like to hope they'll do what they no doubt did at the end of last year's race sit down get rid of the external noise and actually discuss you know in a position of trust between the between each other what could they improve on because there did look to be things that could and should be improved on again before we get back there next year right let's come up to date and a quick couple of other things before we let graham goodwin editor of daily sportscar.com disappear uh, spa related but story uh, breaking this week seems to have been hard to say how to put this a falling out between mark vds and baz linders uh, i've read some stuff on this i've noticed that you've been playing your cards close to your chest but you know baz pretty well what's happened here graham 
it does seem very sad, doesn't it, in the in the wake of the team's greatest triumph, of course, Mark VDS bringing home the win after a series of bizarre incidents in recent years, seems to have kind of snatched uh, any major 24-hour win from their grasp. And, of course, one of the two cars was leading. Uh, I think uh, all pump failed, and uh, they had a seized engine of all things in the other BMW. It got so ridiculous, John, genuinely in the press room, we were talking about whether or not the start-finish line gantry might fall on the car as they approached the line. It, it really <laughs> has got that stupid. But, uh, but, no, I mean, I am sad to see that uh, the team announced in the wake of the win that Bass would be leaving, uh, leaving Mark VDS. The, the statement was, as these things tend to be, uh, slightly woolly around the edges. I have had correspondence with Bass. It is very clear that this was not a mutual decision. Right. Um, and we wait to see what comes out from the other part of the wording of that, which seemed to imply that Mark VDS will be rowing back on some of their programmes. Uh, it seemed to imply that they were going to be, well, the word consolidates was being used. Mm. Now, there's two ways of looking at a situation like that. One is that maybe they got to the stage where, for whatever reason, um, there was some kind of uh, personality clash. Um, and there's other ways that maybe they are simply deciding they're going to do rather less, whether or not that's with their GT racing, whether or not that's with their motorcycle racing, whether or not there's going to be a merging of the personnel between some or all of the above. We'll have to wait and see. But for the moment, yes, uh, I'm afraid Baz Linders uh, leaves Mark VDS, but at least leaves it. I'm sure this will give him a warm feeling, uh, leaves it with Spa 24 Hours win uh, against his and the team CV. You uh, mentioned earlier on about radio communications and at the weekend anyone who was watching the DTM coverage ignored by the comment- the English language commentator at least but very clear instruction over the radio uh, from uh, Dr Wolfgang Ulrich very distinctive voice on the radio yep. to one of his drivers, Timo Scheider who'd just been passed by uh, a couple of Mercedes-Benz to take him off basically, put him off uh, and in fairness, Scheider pulled off a, an absolutely lovely cannon, one Mercedes-Benz in the other. Absolutely, billiards, not snooker, billiards. And uh, beautiful scoring shot and took two of them out with one nerve. Maybe, ben, maybe Ben's billiards should be... Ben's billiards. Uh, there you go. Uh, it's a new game. Um, now, <laughs> putting this in perspective, it is only a few years ago that in the run-up to a championship that Wolfgang Ulrich caused a massive stir by pulling all of the Audis out of a race where he felt the Mercedes-Benz were taking pot shots, pun entirely intended there, from me, at his drivers to try and secure them a championship, most to the chagrin there of uh, Norbert Haug. Um, so there's there's always been a bit of a, a rivalry, of course, between those two big manufacturers. But coming in the wake of the Audi engine seal debacle at Le Mans it's very you know not Audi is, isn't it it's very not Audi which tends to be a phrase we use uh, not very often in racing terms there's no doubt in my mind that something went horribly badly wrong there and there's equally no doubt in my mind John that there has to be a sanction applied for it you simply no matter what the excuse cannot have that happening and the, the point here I think is whatever happened uh, there are going to be two sorts of people that are involved in this debate. There's the people that heard it and saw it and will have made their own minds up as to what happened. Uh, legitimately, otherwise, we wait and see. There'll be the other lot of people that have heard about it and have made up their own minds about mm. it. 
And in sporting terms, I'm terribly sorry, but very often perception is just as important as reality. Scheider was thrown out, of course. He was, yeah. Um, and the last I heard was it was being reported to the German authorities. But at it the, is at currently, there's no sanction being applied to Audi. Uh, Dr Ulrich has said it wasn't an instruction for Timo. He's also said that he didn't believe he was on the uh, the radio to his driver at the time, which I think probably means there's more questions to be asked. So who did he think he was talking to if he wasn't yep. talking to his driver? And does that mean, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, not suggesting that this is, is true, but does that mean Audi have two separate channels, one that people can listen into and one perhaps that they can't, particularly as it, the instruction was given in German and not English? Um, still an opportunity for a, a further penalty. Should there be a sanction applied, if it's as blunt as... It looks, and it sounded, absolutely 100%. And you know what? I think if I was standing face-to-face at the moment with Dr. Ulrich and having a private conversation, he'd probably agree. Uh, I think he'll be horrified by uh, the way that that actually came about. Uh, I'm wondering whether or not emotion got the better at that point. Well, Uh, and, and clearly, you know... It doesn't help that Matthias Ekstrom, who won the race, now leads the championship because of Verlein's non-finish. He was one of the two guys that was uh, caught up in that incident. It was Robert Wickens, the Canadian, that was tapped in the first place, and then Wickens went on to Verlein. Now, in fairness, Scheider could never have known that that would have happened. That was good luck or bad luck, depending on which side of the, the line you were on. They were all battling for position. There was a bit of team orders going on from Mercedes-Benz to yep. get Verline past. It's it's certainly not the way Audi have worked in the past in terms of... They've been very sporting. Uh, they've been very respectful towards their competitors. Look, I'll say this much, John. Dr. Ulrich is closer to the end of his career than the beginning of the career. Mm. I'd hate to see this define the end of his career. Absolutely. I'd hate to see this define the end of his career. Um, No matter what happened there... Uh, that would not be a fair reflection of the of the sporting nature of the of the guy concerned here. I would like to hear it from his own lips. I don't want to see this reported, you know, opinion offered upon it. Uh, you know, I'd like to hear a credible explanation. At the moment, what I've heard doesn't really sound terrifically credible. If they've messed up, I hope they've got the good grace to come forward and say, you know what, we messed up. Um, in the best interest of balanced reporting, Dr. Ulrich uh, afterwards said. I'm sorry that I shouted Timo push him off in my initial emotion from the command post. I do not communicate with the drivers by radio during the race and I didn't know the radio was open. He said it wasn't an instruction and said, I can only apologise to Mercedes for the remark. An expression like this does not reflect my idea of motorsport but was strictly due to the adrenaline of the moment. I'm a racer and I was fuming about the way Timo was dealt with in brackets, from, and I'll put in by the two Mercedes drivers who were clearly trying to finagle a result for the championship uh, purposes, which is, it's a, you know, it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that due to this incident, a shadow has been cast on the impeccable performance by Matthias and the entire Audi squad. Our RA5 was the strongest car here in driving. He's right. Uh, absolutely, it was a fabulous run uh, by Ekstrom. Uh, to lose two cars in the final lap, said uh, Ulrich Fritz, who's the Mercedes head of DPM, is not... Uh, acceptable. The behaviour of Audi and Timo Scheider is unsportsmanlike in the extreme in our view to deliberately take the championship lead out of the race when prompted has nothing to do with fair play I feel sorry for Pascal he's lost uh, championship points as a result 
Verlein will be using his anger to move forward. They said uh, mm-hmm. after this race, it's not about uh, after this race. It's about the incident in the last lap. Obviously, it's Moscow Raceway uh, next weekend. So there we go. Um, so there we are, Graham. Thanks very much. Taking up far too much of your time this evening, but thanks uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Always a pleasure. Midweek motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Thank you very much to Graham Goodwin, and we've already reached half time, as you've just heard. And it's uh, what time is it? Just after three here in Central American time zone. I'm here in Wisconsin for the IMSA radio coverage this weekend. Uh, meantime, Tim and the rest of the team back in the UK. And in the second hour tonight, we'll have more. American news as Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com will be joining us, fingers crossed. Never know with Marshall, always can be very busy. Uh, Nick Damon, who is awaiting Tim's tap on the shoulder, at least virtually, will be back with us to discuss more news uh, and we'll try and find a pointless press release of the week for you as well. All still to come in the next 60 minutes. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. And when you had Graham Goodwin uh, just before... You eating? No. Are you sure? You were talking about uh, DTM. <laughs> yes. That wasn't the only thing uh, at the Red Bull ring at the weekend. No, it wasn't. There was F3 and all the usual support package. There was F3 package. and the TTRS Audi TT Cup. Cup. Yeah, first, uh, first did round. Did you see, see any of that? I'm, as much as it pains me to tell you, the only bit I've seen is the big shunt. That was all that happened in their race. They started behind the safety car, they did five laps behind the safety car, and then they did 200 metres before there was a big crash, which was very the big. race to be abandoned. Six cars involved, a car, despite the pouring rain, the car with the front in a very spectacular, fiery mess. With um, That was rather towards the, uh, the middle to the end of the field. The, fortunately, they are very well-built cars by Audi Customer Sport, and everybody walked away, literally walked away, even the one that was in flames. And this is an interesting concept, isn't it, Audi um, Cup, Audi TT RS Cup, because it is a mixture of pro drivers, and then at the back there's half a dozen at, at least of um, either invited uh, guests or journals, etc. Yes. Um, and that was... I'm not sure how it all started um, in terms of the accident, but it was very spectacular. And we also had uh, Formula 3, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, obviously the rain hadn't uh, hadn't eased very much for them, so uh, their race lasted four laps, I think, oh dear. Um, and they awarded half points for that. Yes. Uh, going back to the Audi TT Cup, though. Yeah. Uh, there was a race on Saturday. In fairness, there was a race yes, on Saturday which went perfectly Saturday. well. Yes. Jan Kiesel claimed victory in the first race on Saturday. Round two was stopped uh, after the accident. And Alexis van der Poel from Belgium. Guess who he's related to? Uh, Mark Goosens. Yeah, that's right. Don't spread rumours like that. Uh, he's obviously uh, um, Eric van der Poel's son. Yes. 
Um, Levin Amveg had to go to hospital um, where he was uh, given extra, a little bit of extra time to recover. But uh, the project leader, Rolf Michel, who's a lovely bloke, um, obviously, I think it was the race, um, it was the conditions as much as anything else. Really, visibility was was so bad. I'm not surprised. It was a, a one of those accidents. Have you seen it, Tim? Yes. It's one of those accidents where a guy was tipped into a spin, spun off, bounced on the track, and then got collected. And literally, if you'd been in a car, you would not have been able to see anything at that point. So, uh, Rahel Fry from Switzerland, Hop Suisse, and it was Swiss National Day uh, at the weekend on Saturday. Apparently she won it was the also guest... Yorkshire Day. Yes, it was. Won the guest entrance uh, cup on both days. So uh, that Formula was halfway three, through the season. It was uh, Jake Dennis who won the first race on the oh, Saturday. Right. Uh, Felix Rosenquist on the second race on Saturday. And the one that was curtailed um, <laughs> was led by uh, led by Antonio Giovinazzi. Um but as I say, they Any only did four laps, and quite a lot of that was behind the safety car. Mm. So they get half points for that. So uh, right. Giovinazzi gets uh, ten instead of twenty, mm. and uh, Paul Calamilot, uh gets half a point instead of one point for finishing tenth. Mm. Okay. Uh, there was a race at Brands Hatch uh, on Sunday, uh, which had uh, a very similar small number of laps. Really? In fact, there were two of them. Uh, nothing to do with the weather, uh, right. but the uh, Volkswagen Cup. Right. Uh, now, I didn't arrive until after the first of their two races had started, so I don't know what right. happened at the start, but when I arrived, they were behind the safety car. Okay. And they continued to be behind the safety car for quite a while. Then the safety car went into the pits, uh, and then... Next time I saw them come past me, I thought, they're going very slowly. I'd have thought that these VWs, because it's mostly Golfs and Sirocco's, mm-hmm. in fact, it's all Golfs or Sirocco's, mm-hmm. I thought, these cars, I'd have thought, would be at least the pace of a Clio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it was pointed out to me that, actually, no, the race was over. Oh, really? It literally just been behind the safety car? Um so there may have been some green uh, running in that race, but there wasn't a lot. But you never so saw I was it. looking forward to their second race of the day, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was quite late in the evening, and uh, decided to watch from a spot that has a good view of Paddock Hill Bend. So we saw the crash that caused it to be red flagged. Oh dear. Um, uh, then uh, I went into the media centre to watch the restart on TV. Um, and I think they did three or four laps before uh, another red flag, and they abandoned it after that. And is this just drivers not being sensible at the start of races, then? Um, yes. Was, uh, b- uh, by the way, were these standing starts or rolling these starts? These were standing starts. That, that's something we'll come back to later, if we can get Will Marshall we? on. Yes. Okay, we're going to ask Marshall about standing starts versus yes. rolling starts. Yes. Not in IndyCar, surely. No, no. Okay. You'll find out when we get to it. Um, quite a bit of controversy this week about standing starts via rolling starts and whether it's the car's fault or not that people can't get them right and they keep causing incidents in parallel. Well, clearly, it's not a car's fault. The car's an inanimate <laughs> object. 
Do you know what? The car would do... I used the word sentient when somebody suggested that. I said, you can't blame the car. The car is not sentient. The, the, the car, if it had no driver, would not start at all. Correct. Well, that's half the problem, I think, that they're, they're having trouble getting them off the line. Yes, but that's because the driver isn't capable of starting the car. Yes, well, well more later uh, on that, if we can get Marshall on. If, if not, we'll have to come back to it. Can I talk about rallying before we get Nick back? Because I know he'll complain. Yes, go on, do it now. Uh, and uh, I heard, did the listener hear the moan there in the background? A thousand no, Lakes. Were, you didn't have him faded up, did you? No. A thousand Lakes. Yeah, Haven was there at the weekend on a. Yeah, we should have got him uh, on to talk about this. Yeah, he was there with Toby Moody. They went on a jolly, uh, paid <sighs> for by a manufacturer. Yes, Hyundai. Who uh, I'm a big fan of Hyundai, and uh, I really I, enjoyed I, Hyundai's hospitality when I went to Wales Rally GB last year, and uh, hoping that if I return to Wales Rally GB this year, then I'll enjoy some more of Hyundai's hospitality. If I'd known that you were interested, you could have gone to um, you could have gone to Rally Finland because I was offered the uh, the trip and couldn't make it. Of course, well, of course. Well, I had to go to Brands Hatch instead. Okay. I didn't have to, but I'm Felt. sure it was nice. Uh, yes. Although I've never been to Finland, so I could have ticked that off. Whereas no, I've been I to Brands Hatch several hundred times in my life. Yes, indeed. Moving on. Uh, so it was the fastest <laughs> ever Rally Finland. And that's saying something, because it's normally a pretty fast rally anyway, isn't it? Yes. It's 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 affectionately called... It was also a bit of a crash fest. Yes, but isn't it also affectionately called the Finnish Grand Prix, because it's so fast? Is it? Mm. Mm. Not much snow, of course, at this time of the year. No, which is why that's they why like so it. Fast. Plenty yeah, of vodka. Yes. Uh, so, the first crash was on Thursday during Shakedown, and that was uh, Thierry Neuville. Mm-hmm. Again, after just earlier on, remember, it was Thierry Neuville who had the issue with the tractor on uh, Rally Germany. Yes, he, he ended up finishing fourth, so mm-hmm. uh, didn't uh, didn't do too much uh, for him. Um, uh, we had a uh, crash for Chris Meek. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one for uh, Hayden Padden. And one for Andreas Mikkelsen. So I think that's a uh, full set of uh, uh, people who have... Oh, no, Hayden... And were they, all kept, well, and were they out as well, or did they come back in? Because um, that's the third crash in as many events, isn't it, for me? Yes, he was the only small one, so I'm sure he would have been able to rejoin. Um Sebastian Auger didn't crash. No, he came second, but he did win the power stage thing at the end and got the bonus yes. points, didn't he? Uh, I should have said Sebastian Auger didn't sure. crash. Uh, but the winner was Yari Matti Latvala. Yeah, very good. His teammate. Uh, which is the third time he's won in Finland. Seriously, by the way, the Chris Meek is going to be under a bit of pressure. Yes, he won early in the season, didn't he, at um, Argentina, and that looked like he finally got his head round everything. But that's going to be a these, distant um, memory now. All these uh, crashes. Although he wasn't. Th- no, look, he wasn't. In, in fairness, he was being competitive. He was very competitive. Yes, he, he, he was the only won. one. Any, he was only one anywhere 
uh, near the, the the leading pair, yes. wasn't he? So well, Mats Osberg, who did finish third, was a minute and a half behind. And I've already said uh, Nerville was fourth, and he was four minutes behind. Um, but all these crashes to uh, WRC regulars meant that we had some surprises in the uh, top ten. Really? Yo Hananen, remember him? Yes. He thought he'd uh, come out of retirement and uh, have a little bit of fun on his own. Mm-hmm. Finished sixth. Uh, and there was a bit of controversy in WRC too, wasn't there? Was there? Yes, the the guy didn't the guy from who won it get thrown out? Or am I making that up? Did I just make that up? Um, I think. Is it was it the the ECU or something for the for Stefan Lefebvre? So he was third. Third. So I've looked ah, it up now. You see. Fine. So it must have been. Uh, must have been the last uh, entitlement. It must have been the Skodas that finished first and second in the. Finns ha- had a yeah. Lappy uh, le- leads WRC two after Finland win. I can see the headline there. One two in support category. And congratulations to a British winner because in the Open Title Trophy race, um, it was Tom Cave. Yes. Who won in the D Mac Fiesta Trophy title? Another race. fine Welshman. Uh, and another M Sport run car as well, of they course. They all are. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. That's a, a category, sorry, should I said. I should have said. Uh, okay, Super Dupes. Uh, can we talk about Formula E as well? Can do if you want. Do we not need Nick back for this? It's all again, batteries. We could get Nick in because these what do you want are battery powered, but he doesn't seem to know much about Formula E. And you actually did watch some of it. So, uh, we they've, uh, on it, remember. they've homologated. Uh, their cars for season two. Well, more importantly, they've homologated some new power um, power well, That trains. is effectively the cars, uh, because well, the cars haven't changed. No, because they don't change until season three. Yes, uh, correct. season two, you're allowed to change your uh, powertrain, which consists of the motor, uh, gearbox, and cooling system. This is the teams that were announced earlier on before London, or at London, wasn't it? This is so. This is Sportline, Andretti, Mahindra, Motomatica, Nextev, TCR, Renault Sport, Vonturi Automobiles. Yes, that one. Yeah. And Virgin Racing Engineering. Uh, very interesting, and so I thought interesting as well. Virgin's was, uh, yes, car is basically a Citroen. Oh, sorry, Virgin's power train is a Citroen. Um. Renault Edams are using the Renault. Well, okay, it's 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 Abt Schaeffler Audi Sport, Andretti Formula E, Dragon Racing, DS Virgin, DS is it's Virgin rather than Citroen, Mahindra, Nextev, Formula E, Renault Edams, Team Aguri, Truly Formula E, and Vonturi Formula. Dragon e. and Vonturi both using the uh, Vonturi engine. Yeah. Which is interesting. How much range, Sorry. This this is when it starts to get more interesting. Yes. I think. I really do, um, because this is where the innovation is is likely to come. Um, the cars have all got different names as well, so get ready. The Mahindra is the best one for me. Have you seen what it's called? The Mahindra M2 Electro. Oh, of course, yes. Um, the next FTCR Formula E 001 is pretty boring. As Formula a name, yes. Yes. Um, and the rest are all just Airtech or VM200s, and or they're all zero ZD one. ZD15, yes. Yeah, 1.5, surely that should be. <laughs> ZD15 for 2000. 1.5 watts. 
Oh, not yeah. watts, obviously. One point yeah, no, five. I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. Um, do we? It'll be more interesting when the batteries um, get changed because it's only the motor, the inverter, and the gearbox, and the cooling system. Yeah. Oh, the gearbox. Gearbox. So they can change the gearbox. That means you can get rid of the gearbox. If they wanted to. Ooh. Um, team team Obviously, Jury. the uh, the advantage of having a gearbox is that uh, it does change the engine note. Uh, sorry, the motor note, which means yes. it makes it sound more like a car and less yes. like a train. Um, Tim McGurry might be pulling a fast one here, but I think, quite sensibly, are staying with season one's package, so they're not changing anything. Why would and there's you? no aerodynamic changes allowed as well. They've all got to still use the Delara with the homologated bodyworks. Apparently that's to keep the costs down. The other thing is about Formula E, which I think is interesting... Um, did I read somewhere that they're going to make them all free? Are they? All the tests, all the pre-season tests sorry. are free. The, the, yes, six days in August at Donnell are all going to be free, Donington Park. Some of the events were but free you've got to anyway. Yeah. Um, it's only the ones in uh, Europe that uh, you had to pay to go to. Uh, yeah, all good. Beijing in October, the first one. Okay, that's fantastic. Nick's uh, now going to want to say batteries a lot, isn't he? On power cells. Well, I'm going to avoid Nick saying batteries uh, by uh, saying, Nick Damon, let's talk about bikes. Well, I'd love to talk about bikes, um, uh, Tim. And normally I would talk about bikes, but I'm going to shock the entire listening community because I want to talk about WRC. No, we've done that without you. No, 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 no. no yes, I know. Now, I, Magnus Berglund on the collective said, WRC, just watch the highlights of Rally Finland. Just wow. Nick Damon mentioned, I know you don't like it, but put the competition aside and take a good... Now, people have not listened to me. I have said I have a massive respect for the ability of the drivers, the skill of the people who set the cars up, how you get them to go around the, 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 the gravel and the tarmac and the forest as fast as you do. It is, however, nothing to do with the level of skill. They're unbelievably skillful. Nothing to do with the quality of the setup of the cars. It's amazing. It is pointless because it's not competition. It's just, I'm going to drive down, you drive after. I'm going to drive down, you drive after. So what we're really saying is you're, what we're having is a car control competition. Well, that's the same as drifting. And if you want to have a car control competition, then what you need to have is do a Ken Block or a Tanner Faust competition, because that's at least kind of exciting and fun. The kids like it. So that's what I think about rallying, Tim. MotoGP. Uh, yes, MotoGP is back after its summer break. I thought you'd be really excited about that. I am, actually, yes. I mean, I think it's interesting because we're, we are poised. We are exactly really... at the halfway point, aren't we? we are, We've had yeah, nine we've had... out of 18. And the amazing thing is, in those first nine races, Marquez only won two of them, when I think most people would have said he would have won at least seven. Um, a lot of that has been down to uh, the new incarnation of the 2015 version of the Honda uh bike not being as good as they expected, or certainly not as good as the uh, the Yamaha, then the, the step forward that Honda made has been less, so Honda in poor development shock. Um, he's also then begun overriding the bike and falling off, and consequently he's he's dropped many points behind the surprise package of the uh, uh, MotoGP season. Uh, this youngster, who I don't think anyone's probably heard of, has really outperformed everyone, a guy called Vale Tano Rose. Um, oh, yes, yeah, I think yeah, I might have heard of him. And 
because he's only he's been on the podium for every single race, uh, he's lead the champion, I think, about 13 or 14 points from uh, a double world champion, um, Lorenzo. Like, Jorge Lorenzo's had a bit of a comeback as well. And not even in third place is Marquez, because he's got the, the Ducatis who've come back again also strong. Well, they are already failing. And we, I mean, we've got a second half of the season where you kind of think that it's all about can Marquez claw back that gap to Rossi and Lorenzo. And the problem is that in MotoGP, given the fact that Danny Pedrosa is a bit rubbish, um, at most places, if you don't fall off, the, the worst your rival is going to finish is third. So you only gain at seven or eight points around. And you have to keep, and, and when, when you're 45 points behind, do the maths. It takes a long time to catch up. Mm. So, in a way, Yamaha boys just need to stay on their bikes and pick up the odd win. And if uh, Marquez falls off once more, he's not going to retain his championship. But it's, um, it's really, really evenly balanced. Um, Honda have made some improvements to their bike and now seem back in the, um, the mix. The Yamaha's going brilliantly. Um, and it's just a Ducati to get the odd point. So, it's, it's been a much, much better season than we all thought. Well, I think we all kind of thought we were getting a Marquez benefit. When you win two years in a row on the best bike and there was no reason to suspect that the Honda wouldn't stay the best bike. He's obviously getting better every year. He's not had any any niggling injuries recently, so he's fit and better with a better bike. You kind of thought it was going to be very, very dull. But you see, motorsport always surprises when you've got vehicles on the same piece of track and not running around their own just showing off how well they can drive. The man who is third in the championship at the moment is uh, Andrea Yanone. Yes, and I feel sorry for him because I know, I know what he's going through. Have you uh, dislocated your shoulder? I've dislocated both of them. One of them rebuilt and one of them falls out quite regularly. Nasty. It is a very nasty injury um, because it actually can only be repaired with surgery. If you're over 16 and you dislocate your shoulder, there is a 70% chance you'll dislocate it again without sol- without surgery to repair it because you stretch the ligaments. They have to be either trimmed or, or, or repinned to pin it back in again. Uh, and despite the summer break, he hasn't had any surgery, so... Uh... No, because it's six weeks. It's a six-week recovery minimum. Mm. So that would take him out. Even if he had it at the start of the break, he'd have missed three weeks and two races. And he was kind of thinking, well, it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. It'll get better on its own. Uh, or not. He knew it wasn't going to get better on its own, but he thought it would get it would improve enough so he wouldn't have the issues you have with. You know, if you think about if you're on a bike, if you think about how you, when you brake, these boys are braking from 200 miles an hour to 40 in virtually no time at all. You think about the multiple g-force and weight that actually goes all onto your arms and, and obviously your shoulders are holding your whole body weight um you know you, you it's a huge fatiguing point and it's very very sore and it's, it's taking off those you know it only needs to take off a couple of hundredths or a tenth of a second of a lap and in in such a competitive environment as moto gp you know that's that's you out of the running it hasn't actually affected him that badly because he has still been in the points in every race since uh, the accident happened yeah, I think he's been. I think he's done really, really well. I think he's. I think Ioni's it has again surprised everyone. Not as much as Vale to know Rosie, um, but he surprised everyone. And uh, obviously, riding on the back of the fact that the suddenly Ducati got a half decent bike for the first time in seven years. Um, but I think he's. He knows that he uh, in himself that he's probably just slightly off where he should be. Um, and there's no way of mending it until the end of the season. So he's probably just very frustrated that, that the testing accident had in Mugello a few months ago is is hampering his challenge for a higher than a fourth third or fourth place finish but i think you know um he's made his point he needs to look after himself and and come back stronger next year uh you mentioned valentino rossi and obviously we do know who valentino rossi is uh collective so stop tweeting about it uh 
he has been beaten in the past. Uh, if you think back to the 2006 Portuguese uh, round of the MotoGP, uh, he was beaten by Tony Elias. And uh, Tony is making a MotoGP comeback this weekend at Indianapolis, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, there's been a bit of a shuffle. The Indianapolis is an interesting one because I think I'm right in saying it's the, the one race of the year which just has the big bikes and doesn't have the um, the whole circus doesn't go. Uh, I gets... think it has Moto2 as well, but not Moto3. Right, because I know they, they, they've they've done that a couple. Of, I, I I am the reason I hedge my bets there is because I know they I, they used to do that. They did Laguna Seca round for a while. Yes. Only had Moto GP, and then they said no, we can't go to America twice with the smaller bikes because we're going to Circuit of the Americas. So I, you're probably right because I, I it, it moves around. But yeah, so uh, Elias, he's going to he's I think he's replacing Carol Abraham, isn't he? But he is. And, he's still the, injured. Um, well, Carol does fall off a lot in fairness to him. This is uh, the. Th- Third different uh, replacement for Carroll this season, uh, he, and he only had his accident in Barcelona. Um, so, in as many races, basically, uh, they've had uh, three replacement drivers. Well, it's, it's only so long before Pastor Maldonado gets the ride, isn't it, really? <laughs> well, uh, previously, uh, Hiroshi Ioma, who's Honda's official test rider, but not very uh, fast, wasn't very good at the Saxon Ring. It wasn't very good when he had the um, the actual Honda bike, for the proper works bike for two races. And then uh, Michael van der Mark uh, never actually made it as far as Assen, uh, where he was supposed to be uh, sitting in on that bike. I was going to say in that seat. But... I was about to say, I, I hadn't heard of Michael van der Mark riding in MotoGP. You feel to say he didn't manage to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who's going to win in Indianapolis? Um, I think if it's dry, I think Lorenzo will win. I haven't seen a forecast, so can't really. Uh... But I think that Rossi just, as long as he finishes one place behind or one place ahead of, Ross, of Lorenzo, that's all he's worried about at the moment. He, he knows it's just, a, just an uphill struggle for Marquez to catch up, but he just needs to concentrate on Lorenzo. Uh, very quickly, uh, while you're in cynical mode. <laughs> what, me? Never. Uh, if you were looking at the uh, Midget Motorsport Listeners Collective on Facebook earlier in the week, you might have seen the launch video of the Costa Rican Touring Car Championship. Uh, and uh, here with his uh, film review of that is uh, our film correspondent, Nick Damon. Well, it just goes to show that just because you have access to GoPros, a drone, one of those kind of um, um, things where you can move the camera along, a little trolley thing, um, and you think you're very good at doing arty shots and you, and you do it in cinema scope rather than uh, widescreen, doesn't make it interesting and no one needs a pan shop of 25 seconds of some curbing. There was a car in there. I'd fallen asleep before it turned up. Uh, do you think the uh, Costa Rican Touring Car Championship is something that might interest you in the future? Um, are they paying me to go there? I would hope that they'll pay for all of us to go there, although after then your review I of their launch video, beyond, possibly not. I am beyond interested now. Uh, no, I mean, in fairness, um, as you know, I do quite a lot of stuff in, in the RC world, and, and these sort of, look at me, I've got a, a lot of equipment, and I've got an ability to use Final Cut Pro videos, which are all a, a collection of lovely shots stuck together does not make a lovely film. It just makes a collection of lovely shots that after the third one you're bored of. You need to have a narrative even to a promo. That's my advice. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 30. Uh, Nick Damon and 
Tim Gray, thank you very much for that little look at uh, at bikes. The tippity tapping in the background can only mean one thing: that whilst I'm here at Road America, much closer to your normal timeline, we can say, well, good afternoon, as it is here. To Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com. Hello, mate. Hey, Heidi, how are you? I'm very well, mate. Looking forward to the weekend. I love coming to this place. It just brings to mind, I think this might be a list for Tim to come up with around Christmas, but I think uh, Elkhart Lake definitely qualifies as one of the uh, limited number of, quote, spiritual homes for motor racing. So I think we might have to uh, build out a spiritual home list of uh, tracks throughout (laughs) the world that kind of qualify. But, yeah, wonderful place. It it tends to breed amazing racing. Uh, If it's not happening up front, it's happening in the back or in the middle. Uh, There are some tracks where, again, you probably are bored before the, the green flag even waves. This is one where, I mean, good Lord, not only does it produce great racing for TV, but if you're there... All you have to do is just breathe it in. You get natural fresh air, and you also get the smell of bratwursts and other stuff on the grill. So, wonderful place. We'll talk some open wheel uh, and IndyCar from another great circuit, actually, Mid-Ohio for Indy at the weekend. Let's talk about that in a moment, but a couple of things to uh, to get underway with sports cars. Now that we know what's happening as far as LMP2 is concerned, or at least we know a little more, we also know, of course, that the Daytona prototypes have a limited shelf life now. And I suppose for anybody who's running a DP, Marshall, it's a question of not if, but when they are going to make the change. And some significant players have been making, if not moves, then certainly noises towards moves of, of what their plans might be in the future. Yeah, we spoke with uh, Troy Fleece, who owns the VisitFloridaRacing.com team uh, last week, better known as Spirit of Daytona, which runs Richard Westbrook, Michael Valiente full-time. They've been loyal Corvette DP entrants for a few years now, leading the championship uh, as well at the moment. And uh, speaking with Troy last week, said they are definitely uh, interested in moving to P2 next year, provided they can find a chassis that is truly or will turn out to be or can be verified as, Mm -hmm. you know, within, uh, you know, very, very minimal number of changes being legal for 2017. So uh, we know that uh, Hugh Deshonak and Areca has been saying that their new Areca 05 P2 car is built to 2017 regulations, although I don't know if we all fully understand what those regulations are. Well, we Uh, haven't seen them, have we, in terms of a a document? At least in terms of the true final, we have the really strong idea, and we do have definitely have some numbers we can play around with in terms of width and this mm. and that. But uh, but we're also looking at compliance. Uh, how different can things be, or would things be in North America? We've gotten some guidelines on that, but not 100. percent Really long story short, you know, if Troy's going to spend the money to move from DP to P2 uh, for 2016, he doesn't want to have to essentially spend that same amount of money again just to comply with 2017. So, Interestingly, that's not dissimilar, is it, to what Tim Greaves and Greg Murphy were saying on our LMP2 special. You know, somebody tell me what, what I'm going to have to spend and when I'm going to have to spend it, effectively. This is significant for... Spirit of Daytona for, for Florida.com Racing in a couple of ways. First of all, they're leading the championship at the moment, so they are absolutely the sharp end of the DP field. Secondly, they're effectively, if not a works team, certainly a works-blessed, works-supported team as much as there is one within the DP format. 
Very true. So you have a, again, I don't want to call them factory because they are not true 100% funded. I can't even say what percentage Mm. uh, funded by the factory, but we do know that there's factory assistance that could come in money, could come in engines, could come in Mm R&D. We know that three teams, the uh, Troy's team, Action Express team, and also Wayne Taylor are all factory affiliated with GM through the Corvette DP platform. Interesting thing, though, is when we look to 2017, uh, GM Racing is not committed to the uh, to IMSA's P2 class. We all expect it to happen, so I don't mean that as in they're they've yet to commit and they have no intention. But uh, if you look at it, there's been rumors, Heidi, of uh, will this be, continue to be the customer style uh, program for GM yeah. Racing in 2017? Hey, anybody, if you want a body, you want an engine, bolt it onto whatever, uh, you come and get it. Or will it be more of a traditional Corvette racing style factory program? Mm-hmm. And I, I think when we look to, uh, especially if you looked at what Troy Fleece is considering, you have to say, hmm, well, I wonder uh, wonder if he feels that might not happen in 2017. Is that the reason they're looking at going to a P2 in 2016? That Well, does, probably- it, does it mean they might be cutting back even in, in 2016 in terms of the, the support that might be forthcoming from, from GM? That's an interesting question. I'm not 100% sure uh, what could happen there, but uh, I mean, I think in terms of quality, uh, the team is certainly more than capable of delivering for them. Great. We just don't don't know uh, a if GM Racing will be back. We again expect that they will, but at what level is this going to be something big with lots of cars spread across multiple teams that they do continue to help fund or support in some way? Will they downsize things? Can't say what the budget would be, but to a single factory team. So, you know, those are definitely the questions being asked. And when you see one of the three teams, mm-hmm. the Cor- the Corvette DP teams, and uh, one one that's leading the championship, considering kind of breaking ranks early, again, it makes you wonder, hmm, do they know something we don't, or are they just considering, hey, if we have a car and run it and learn it, we could kind of add the Corvette body and whatever, in, or GM body and GM engine in 2017 if we do get picked up. We should say, by reason of balance, that in fact nobody's committed in terms of the IMSA side of P2 regulations. Um, you know, Graham was talking earlier on in the show tonight about Bentley expressing a big interest of getting one of their engines in it and doing a, and a body for it. But that, at the moment, is an expression of interest. Nobody signed up to it. And not when you say not GM, not Corvette, neither have Ford, neither have any of the other potential manufacturers actually made that decision. So we're not singling out, you know, we're not singling out GM here at all. No, not in the least. Not in the least. I mean, there's a few other manufacturers I've heard about as well, Hindy, who... Uh, uh, could be interested, if not have definitely uh, expressed interest uh, publicly and privately to uh, participate in this new 2017 formula. So, mm. you know, could uh, could Fleece and his team help a manufacturer do something in 2016? While well, again, hoping to be um, you know added back into the rotation for 2017. Who knows? Um, but definitely, I think I, I'm hoping uh, we could see. 
more teams maybe getting a whiff from manufacturers, mm-hmm. wanting a little bit of help, a little bit of development, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So who knows? I mean, definitely more questions than answers at this point, but I like the fact that we have that. Yeah, and as we've said before with the these regulations, it does rather look and smell like DP 2.0, and I mean that in a good way because the business model behind DP was never in never in question. You talked about Action Express there. Um, they're, they're one of the other uh, big players, as you say. Well, you know, what's their situation at the moment? They are set to announce their 2016 plans on Saturday. Uh, from everything I know, it's, the announcement is we're continuing doing what we're doing with Corvette DPs and the four drivers uh, we have right now. Um, well, they did send out something earlier on in the week, which was... Um, not exactly secretive, shall I say. Well, I love the fact that in the invite to talk about their 2016 plans, they mentioned that all four of their current drivers will be there. So as I tweeted out, it'd be kind of an awkward thing if they've invited all four and said, hey, by the way, could you uh, take off your team shirt? Because uh, you're done, pal. Because we've got four guys standing over here who are going to be doing your jobs next year. So, yeah, we, we anticipate Action Express continuing two cars. Keep in mind, they expanded to two cars this year. They took over running Sunny Whelan's Whelan Engineering programs uh, in the 31 Corvette DP. So, uh, again, hopefully everything should continue in that direction. That team has won a race this year. So, mm. um, But it, very interesting. I do know that they they were certainly interested in wanting to go towards uh, P2 next year. It's just uh, without uh, GM, who they are you know, very, very close with, without GM having declared their intentions, uh, I know that uh, sticking with their coyote chassis Corvette mm. DP is uh, certainly what it looks like they're going to be doing. Action Express really get it, and I think they're, from talking to the team and the team representatives, they see the opportunities that the United Sports Car Championship brings with IMSA. They are very good at their social media side of things. They get it. They get the activation side and that they are talking to a different audience as well as a bigger audience than they would have been last year and certainly in the previous years of Grand Am. And, and I, I think that realisation is dawning on, on more than them, frankly, on the, in the paddock at the moment. Absolutely. The the big question as I look forward on that theme, Heidi, is uh, I think they're, I think IMSA is starting to find its groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the quality has only imp- continued to improve from race to race. Uh, where we need to see growth, uh, and this can be achieved through social media, uh, through, I mean, I guess traditional avenues, uh, TV ads and whatnot, but... Uh, really, the TV ratings, uh, that's the last area that they really need to mm-hmm. uh, not only show and demonstrate some sort of, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a battle plan, because it's not so much of a battle, but just something that says we get it, we know the numbers aren't what you guys want, manufacturers who spend lots of money on this TV package. Uh, hey, sponsors who are involved, we know that you want and need bigger numbers. Uh, this is the plan we have, uh, or can you help us with a plan to help improve those numbers? If you look at IndyCar, for example, they've been in not necessarily the best place. Also, stuck on cable for, mo- for you know, most races each year, so very similar to what IMSA goes through being stuck on cable. And they've actually seen some pretty significant increases recently. Granted, going from a 0.2 household rating to a 0.4, that's massive. You've doubled the audience size. But we'd also have to be honest in saying that audience still isn't big enough. Uh, IMSA, it's going in the right direction, fella. True. 
Very true. But it, at least in terms of the numbers that a sponsor, you know, big sponsors would say, aha, we're going to give you a bunch more money because you're putting up big numbers. Those type of figures aren't the ones that are no. really going to unleash a bunch of cash. IMSA just finds itself um, in a more challenging position where uh, its races on Fox Sports 1 do not the, the ratings aren't bad, but anytime Fox Sports Two is involved, uh, those numbers are just minuscule. Yeah. So and that isn't bashing. That's just we look at the numbers, compare and contrast, and realize that of all the things IMSA is doing right, if anything, Heidi, I may be happy to say that the one there's one big area left for them to really start to improve, and that's TV. If this was a year ago, you and I would probably rattle be rattling uh, off. There are four big things to fix. There is an issue there, though, and, and you've brought it up, so I'll take it now. I was going to push it to, to later in our chat, uh, and we will we will get to um, IndyCar in just a, just a minute, but a couple more sports car stories. But on the TV side, there's an issue because Fox Sports are making a big deal at the moment of their soccer coverage, and they've just taken on the German League, the Bundesliga, uh, and they're going to be showing a lot of live soccer from Europe. Now, live soccer from Europe, particularly in Germany, is going to fall on Saturdays and Sundays at the sort of times that races would be on. So Mm. a congested schedule for IMSA is getting more congested in terms of them finding airtime. So this is not a problem that has got a magic... You know, click of the fingers, and we've talked to David Pettit about this before, the man from IMSA who deals with the broadcast side of things, and maybe that's something that we'll find out at the State of the Series, which is uh, on Saturday with Scott Atherton. A couple of other stories about sportscasts before we move on to the Open Wheel stuff. Um, Ford GT has been getting its shakedown for the first time, and some public video of that going out. That car has to be at... The ACO FIA test, of course, for balance of performance in September, as does the Ferrari. And we talked about this a little bit last week. And you and I both slightly worried about the lack of noise coming from Michelotto. And both have been doing some digging. And um, Dave Beaky Sims has come back to you with a, a bit of interesting information. Yeah, our man, uh, Mr. Sims, uh, didn't have a lot to say. Not because, well, let me rephrase that. Dave always has a lot to say, and it's always great. Uh, didn't have a lot of uh, meat to put on the bones in this topic, but that was, frankly, the story. Uh, they, The Farisi Competizione team is uh, eagerly anticipating sitting down with the folks from Michelotto this weekend to get a big update themselves on the new turbocharged F488 chassis that will be replacing the F458 chassis. Uh, so uh, they've been waiting, listening, hoping to hear, haven't heard much, uh, but it sounds like they are going to get the uh, bigger, deeper dive this weekend, and we should have uh, stronger information on the when and where and how that car will, uh, at least on the North American side in IMSA, uh, hopefully start to uh, turn some wheels and get ready for next season. Well, uh try and get as much of that from Beaky, um, try and maybe get him on the radio as well, on IMSA Radio uh, this weekend. The other very quick point I want to make about this is what Graham brought up earlier on, uh, talking to Jens Marquardt from uh, BMW about about their plans and you know not having a lot of time to get that M6 into the GTLM category and getting that homologated but the, the advantage that they have as I said in that interview Marshall is they don't have to be at the FIA ACO or BOP because that car's not going to race anywhere <laughs> but IMSA so yeah. IMSA can basically deal with that as and when necessary and so long as it's before the car gets to the row 
or even frankly if they get something down roughly speaking on the back of an envelope sorry I'm, I'm, I'm making light of that that's not true but you know what I mean it can be got down and then between the roar and the race or whatever they can make adjustments through the season it doesn't have to be at the at the test because it ain't going anywhere other than IMSA competition Exactly, and uh, to add to that, and I won't mention the manufacturer's name, but uh, the the word of IMSA continuing to work with BMW to fit a car that uh, was not or not presented as a GTE vehicle from the outset uh, to convert, in this case, a GT3 spec car to GTE, IMSA's willingness to continue. Uh, working with manufacturers on IMSA-specific uh, homologations has caught the attention of another manufacturer. Uh, or well, let me rephrase, I don't want to say one, uh, but it's definitely caught the attention of uh, at least one manufacturer, if not more, uh, who would like the same as uh, I, I've been told from the manufacturer side asked if that would be possible, and I didn't get an answer as to whether uh, anything would go forward there. Ooh. But um, yeah, I don't. I, again, I don't. Th- my guess is I don't think Empson wants to become the uh, sanctioning body, the the run what you brung sanctioning body. Hey, you've got a got a mini that you want us. Sure, we'll figure out a way. You know, uh, I don't think they're going to do that. But uh, okay. I am happy to hear that for a manufacturer like BMW, uh, whose primary professional motor racing activity in North America is in the Tudor Championship in GTLM that IMSA is open and, and working to keep them there. That, to me, is really important. The It was the Mid-Ohio IndyCar race at the weekend. Brilliant. New owners of the track, of course, relatively new owners of the track, uh, taking over from the long-time administrations uh, of the administration of that circuit by the Truman family and they had a good weekend they had good crowds it's a fabulous place we'll start off with uh, the uh, Cooper Tires Grand Prix of Mid-Ohio for the Indy Lights and in the second race a graduate from the Cooper Tires uh, prototypes in uh, in IMSA Sean Rahal took the victory ahead of Max Chilton there's a big name to have behind you and Spencer Piggott as well this year's uh, Indy Lights is looking very competitive indeed. Yeah, it definitely has been, Heidi. Uh, this past weekend in particular, we had uh, misfortune leading to fortune, uh, where we had the uh, championship leading or the two hottest contenders for the championship, Carlin Racing's Ed Jones and Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports' Jack Harvey, uh, managed to tangle. And there were two races last weekend, and uh, those two gents, unfortunately, did not come away where they needed. Um, and, and as a result... I mean, granted, uh, to get to the uh, checkered flag, you obviously have to mm. get there uh, without any sort of impediment. So we had R.C. Enerson, who broke into a victory lane for the first time in the first round. Uh, and then Sean Rahal managed to win his second race of the year uh, on Sunday. And if you look at Sean, uh, he's done, what, I think, ha- less than half the season and has two wins with uh, Enzo Potolicchio's eight-star team. Really impressive to me. Uh, and also, finally, if you just look at how the season has gone down, you've had Carlin Racing win, you've had Eight Star, you've had Schmidt, you've had Andretti. You've, I mean, it's this is what we would hope would come from the season with new cars, where it isn't one team dominating. You've actually had a really good mix, uh, and that is for me everything you're looking for in uh, the top of any ladder. And a great IndyCar race, uh, the Honda Indy 200 at Mid Ohio, the racetrack looked fabulous big crowd as i said and a great podium if there was a podium simon pagino third justin wilson for andretti 
uh, really doing a grand job. And Graham Rahal, well, his dad might not be calling the strategy again, but he was sitting down at the end of the back straight and saw the spinning car, and immediately they came in. I don't think there was that much luck involved in that, if I'm honest. They took a couple of... The, the first safety car, possibly, but the second one, they spotted that, and they got him in before the pits were closed. Brilliant result for him, and it really closes up the championship. And, you know, a championship that we thought the the guys that running the Honda weren't going to get anywhere near, and all of a sudden, Graham Rahal is a title contender. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun, isn't it, Heidi? Yeah. I, mean, I have to admit, this was kind of boring through, uh, probably through about Detroit, maybe. I mean, it was kind of, you know, Team Penske kicking butt or Ganassi or, you know, there was a little, <laughs> there was a surprise here or there, but those we looked at said, oh, those are flukes. Uh, Chevy guys are just wiping everybody out and qualifying, winning all the races that don't have some sort of weird thing, you know, uh, shuffling the uh, final order. And yeah, things have gotten fun. I mean, uh, another thing to keep in mind is, I believe, for the first time this year, Honda has won back-to-back races. They've won three out of the last four. Um, I mean, that is really impressive. Uh, So, good on them. Uh, Fantastic that we see Graham Rahal now just nine points behind uh, Juan Montoya, who had a 42-point lead going into the race. Unbelievable. And uh, with the way IndyCar's point structure works, uh, you tend to have to chip away to, to really draw down someone's lead. Well, Graham winning and Montoya falling back to, I believe, was 11th place mm. uh, was everything we needed to uh, kind of throw this championship wide open with two races remaining. Last race, Hindy, is double, double points. points. Scott and Dixon's up- not out of this either. He's only, what, he's on 431, so he's only another 20 points further back, 25 points behind Graham Rahal. It's not out of the question, and you never count Dixie out if he's got a sniff of another championship. No, not at all. Uh, we're heading to Pocono next, where Montoya won last year. Mm. Uh, if I remember correctly, Dixie won the year before. Oof, uh, was, good call. Uh, so whatever whatever we end up hap- having, we know that based on Fontana, another big super speedway, uh, depending on IndyCar's aero configuration, uh, we should have, well, if IndyCar raises the minimum downforce levels to something that bring the Honda into contention, that's what made Fontana so good. Uh, the Chevys are cannot be touched when uh, the minimum downforce level is somewhat low because they can trim out more than the Hondas uh, while still having uh, more than ample downforce. Uh, the Hondas can't do that, and that's where the separation comes. At Fontana, the minimum downforce level was high enough to where the Chevy advantage of trimming could really didn't come into play, and so you had both manufacturers essentially eye-to-eye, and uh, anybody could have won that race. And Graham Rahal in his Honda did win, but you know, for those who watched it, you know any almost anybody could have won. Uh, and again, we're hoping IndyCar comes up with an aero spec at Pocono that keeps both manufacturers balanced, and if so, we know that a Penske could win, a Ganassi, a Ray Hall, you name it. Definite, uh, if that happens, I think this championship should be quite interesting going into Sonoma. The last thing I'll mention quickly on that, Hindy, traditionally, Penske's kind of owned Sonoma, and yeah. that's a that's a double points season finale. Uh, we do have that. a big test coming up here in about, actually 10 days from now, where we will have Ganassi, Penske, Ray Hall, Schmidt, and Andretti testing, bringing in some of the young guns from Indy Lights, uh, kind of making use of a testing rule that allows teams to use cool. two additional test days, provided 
they put uh, Indy Lights drivers in the car for half the time. So uh, most of the teams in hottest contention for the championship are going to be going to Sonoma, one-day test, really try and get themselves ready for the season finale. Just 27 days from now, Heidi. It's so ridiculous. I know, and it'll be all over. Uh, still plenty to talk about before that happens. Marshall Pro from Racer.com. Thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Thanks, brother. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. What were the entries like this week then, Tim? Is there more than one? Uh, Several to choose from. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) Um, I mentioned uh, earlier the uh, Formula 3 race uh, Mm -hmm. in Germany. Yeah, very good. And... uh, Lots of people with uh, pointless press releases and half-pointless press releases for that uh, curtailed race from there. Um, You know when you've got uh, your emails on your computer or on your phone and sometimes it truncates the subject of the email because the screen's not wide enough? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, Well... That means that when you're sending out press releases with the headline as the subject of the email, you probably want to be careful how you phrase things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I've got one uh, that was sent... uh, uh, When was it? Oh, it was last Thursday. Mm -hmm. Um, Where the truncated bit was F3 dash Callum Eilot coming out. Now, I'm sure that's not what uh, the slump was about. Of mid-season break with style. Uh, or something. Or with uh, <laughs> Yes, there you go. No, coming out quicker at the Red Bull ring. Ah, okay. Uh, he said it's going to be great to be back there. I was there for the Red Bull Kart Fight World Final in April. And also did a test there once. It is a great value. I'm very, very envious that I didn't get to go there again this year. Although I've driven past it several times, obviously. Well, you probably drove past it at the weekend, didn't you? Uh, Not so much this time because I came straight from Vienna rather than coming up from Graz. Because I dropped the guys off at the airport on Saturday night and set off at dark 30 on Sunday morning. Um, But yeah, I saw, um, I did see actual um, advertising for the DTM whilst I was driving up the motorway at 6 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. Another one that came in last Thursday uh, was, mm-hmm. uh, it's exactly one year until the 2016 F1 German Grand Prix. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Which is not at the Nürburgring, of course, the, as we heard the from Graham earlier on. Um, yes, exactly. And a spokesman said, we're delighted to host another Formula 1 race in Germany. Uh, the signs for German fans in particular so far were very good. Uh, Sebastian Listen, Vettel you put racing on a for the dec- first time in Ferrari on home soil. You put a decent event on. As Graham was saying earlier on, there was 3,000 people for that Toyota WEC combined test thing. And they turned out in the pouring rain for that. And I remember the last time that we were there for ELMS. And it rained. It was forecast to rain, Dish Network. Yes. And it rained all weekend. And there were still packed grandstands. The reason I've mentioned Hockenheim is that uh, <laughs> they've appointed the same PR firm that handles the uh, Circuit of the Americas. Excellent. So we're going to start getting um, lots of pointless press releases of the week from them. And they will will be uh, talking about how great their walls are in their press room and all that sort of stuff. 
Circuit of the Americas is thrilled to announce Elton John and his band. After the Formula One race. Yes. Mm, saw that today. One of the... You saw the Formula One race or you saw Elton John and his band? Or you saw <laughs> yeah, the press release? I saw the press release. I was clearing out stuff that I hadn't read from earlier on in the week. And, and I was... In fairness, I was taken by Elton John and his band when I saw it was from quarter it had dropped right down to the bottom of my inbox so I'm guessing it probably came in Tuesday maybe late on Monday when I was travelling and I thought for one glorious moment it was going to be at the WEC race Our goal is to create a must-attend weekend this fall in Austin, Texas by fusing music and art with local and international sport into Austin's energetic nightlife says Jason Dial possibly pronounced Dial Surely, though, having an F1 race is a must-attend event. Really? Having an Elton John concert is a must-attend event if you're in Texas, I'd have thought. Well... He's not going to go there that often. They did this the first time that um, IMSA and WEC, I think, were there. Certainly the first uh, time I was there. They'd had a, they had a big concert on the Thursday night. But... If you were working at the track, they made you leave before the concert started, and then you had to get readmitted if you wanted to go and see the 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 concert. It was see, I should know who it was. I can't remember who it was now, but it was somebody decent. Uh, they're also having an international art show called Pop Austin. Mm. Didn't he play for West Brom in the nineteen seventies? And Sunderland? No, that was Pop Robson. Sorry, Neely. Uh, this is a great indicator of Austin's ever-growing cultural influence and international appeal, said Sherilyn Mayhew, Managing Director, Circuit of the Americas. Mm. She may not be, of course, by the time that event happens, because they cha- change over their headline staff, their major uh, staff members, with monotonous regularity. Mm. Okay. So they they describe the Circuit of Americas as a campus. I describe it as a venue that happens to have a racetrack, which yes. is all right, as long as the people who are running the venue part of it have venue experience, which they tend to do. Their venue events are pretty good. They've got a lovely amphitheatre, stuff to do with the X Games, etc. Very good. The racetrack bit needs to be run by people who have experience of motor racing and tracks and circuits and the sort of people who are likely to turn up. And unfortunately, the people who run that side of it don't. Mm. And that's why it will fail... I suspect that in future episodes of this programme we'll be talking about someone have to take it on and as soon as they lose their funding from the local area they'll be in trouble because their business model is not going to work. Unless they do more events at it and less motor racing. But then Well of course that's how racing circuits make money by doing less motor racing. Yeah, exactly. It's just a big area. The problem is, when you do have motor racing there, if you want to attract anything, you know, their issue is they don't have enough motor racing events to justify having a track there. And if you want to have anything other than just Formula One turning up once a year, then you know you you need to build a... Are you counting an X Games as a uh, motorsport event? Do they have X Games motorsport events there, or was it just... The you know, I think they had those little buggy things, didn't they? And, and did the they bikes, have global rallycross type things again that they had that they had there in when you know, years ago, Travis Pastrana and those guys did. So it's like saying is uh, race of champions a motorsport event? It is, but it's 
a, an entertainment motorsport event. I have no issue with motorsport being used in that const- on, in that context, but I think the problem that Quota has as a venue, as a motorsport venue, is it's not designed for motorsport primarily. It isn't. It doesn't work as a motorsport venue. It certainly doesn't work if you've got to work there. The facilities and the way that they look after their workers, people who are working, have got better, but it's still not good. And it's very difficult for fans in the early part of race weekends. Fans aren't welcome. They don't run the buses. They don't want people in the grandstands. They don't want people to come on the Thursday and the Friday of a weekend. They don't even open up if they can get away with it. They don't understand the psyche of the motorsport fan. They didn't expect people to turn up with cars and want car corrals. You know, that that's the sort of thing. They just need to decide what they want to do and get experts in for what they want to do. Best thing that could probably, probably happen for Circuit of the Americas is for its management team to continue just being a venue management team and then when they want to put motorsport on, hand it over to someone who's experienced and understands motorsport hand it over to a promoter. That's probably the best thing to do. Bad news for you, John. Which is? We don't have time for the prices right tonight. Uh, particularly as you have to rush her off now. Yes, I do, because I'm off to Audi North Shore in Brown Bear, Wisconsin, uh, with Paul Miller Racing and some other representatives of Audi Customer Ra- Was that it for the pointless press release of the week? There was, was no- nothing that had any, uh, any better. point in it, no. Right, OK. Uh, and that's all. Don't forget, this weekend, check the schedule on the front page of com. We're here at Road America for not only the Chid United Sports Car Championship and Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, we also have Cooper Tires Prototype Lights and the Carrera Cup USA, Porsche Carrera Cup. Uh, sorry, it's not called that, is it? It's called Porsche, Porsche GT3, GT3 Cup, Challenge, Cup presented Challenge presented by, by Yokohama. Yes, it's USA Carrera Cup by any other name. Uh, that's all this weekend on IMSA Radio via the RadioLamont.com player and on IMSA.com and on the IMSA app if you haven't got to get it. And there's no time to say anything else or even explain because the Lama has a public appearance to go there. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.